I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, a house divided. New developments in the battle to remove Republican Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Eye on the Synod. As a global gathering is set to begin, Pope Francis responds to a series of questions from five cardinals. Humanitarian aid. How the Red Cross is helping tens of thousands of Christian refugees in Armenia. And Talking Turkey. A new book by EWTN's own Raymond Arroyo reveals the start of a historic White House tradition. These stories add more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, Congress avoided a government shutdown at least until mid-November, and now their efforts are focused on passing a dozen spending bills to keep federal agencies funded. But first, House lawmakers are now dealing with a motion to remove Republican Speaker Kevin McCarthy. For more on that, let's check in with Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales. Eric? Well, good evening, Tracy. You know, last night, Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida filed a motion to remove Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who he says that broke a number of promises made to GOP members last January. A number of lawmakers did react to that motion prior to today's historic vote. Well, I have enough Republicans where at this point next week, one of two things will happen. Kevin McCarthy won't be the Speaker of the House or he'll be the Speaker of the House working at the pleasure of the Democrats. At the end of the day, keeping government open and paying our troops was the right decision. I stand by that decision. And then the day, if I have to lose my job over it, so be it. The reality is that Matt Gates would need Democrat support to remove uh, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, and the fact that he is willing to do that uh, shows, obviously, that he doesn't care about governing in a, in a conservative House majority. Given the set of circumstances he has faced as Speaker, all of the dynamics uh, internally within our conference and facing the House and the country, I think he's done a good job. And so as of right now, you're a no. Yes, I'm a no on a motion to vacate, and I will fight anybody if they try to expel Matt Gates. Well, for only the second time in history, a vote did take place to remove the Speaker of the U.S. House, in this case, Republican Kevin McCarthy. And also, for the first time in history, Kevin McCarthy has been removed. The speakership is now vacant after debating the past actions of the speaker. For nearly an hour, a final vote was taken, and the vote actually did come in 210 to 216 in favor of getting McCarthy out. The next step for Republicans will be to put forth a number of names for a replacement. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy will have the opportunity to choose a temporary speaker until an election is held. Tracy. Eric, some big news there. Uh, I want to switch gears now. I understand another congressman was the victim of violent crime last night. Tell us what happened. That is correct. Uh, Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar was carjacked at gunpoint here in Washington, D.C. It actually took place in the Navy, Navy Yard area. The congressman says that three men pointed a gun to his head and got his phone and car keys. His white Honda was discovered a short time later, but the three men remain on the run. Here in D.C. alone, there have been more than 750 carjackings since the beginning of this year. So, uh, it's, uh, I mean, just a terrible situation up here on Capitol Hill uh, for a number of lawmakers. But uh, again, we want to get back to our top story. Kevin, uh, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, is removed. Uh, the speakership is vacant at this point. Uh, a replacement will be named within the next few hours.
Tracy. Okay, thank you so much, Eric, for that. And in other news, LaFonza Butler made history today as the first openly LGBTQ plus person to represent California in the U.S. Senate. She is filling the seat of late Senator Dianne Feinstein. So help you God. I will. Congratulations. Congratulations. A butler, E is the former president of Emily's List, a pro-abortion rights political group. She was sworn into office by Vice President Kamala Harris. Butler's seat E is up for re-election in 2024. Well, New York City is now allowing abortions via telehealth after appointments with providers and following an approval process. Women will be able to receive a medication abortion kit in the mail. Democrat Mayor Eric Adams says that he will never stop working to make abortion accessible to the city's residents. Well, the Supreme Court of Colorado e is said to hear a case against a Christian baker who refused to make a cake to celebrate a so-called gender transition. Jack Phillips had won a similar case at the U.S. Supreme Court back in 2018 after he refused to make a cake for a same-sex wedding ceremony. Earlier this year, a state court of appeals ruled against Phillips. The baker's attorney says that he is pleased Colorado's highest court will hear the case. Our President Joe Biden convenes a call with allies and partners from across the globe at issue Ukraine and its ongoing battle with Russia. The meeting comes as President Biden urges lawmakers to approve more aid for Ukraine. The U.S. has approved four rounds of aid to Ukraine in response to Russia's invasion, totaling about $113 billion. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Tracy, that call President Biden held took place this morning with world leaders as well as the NATO Secretary General. In a readout from that call, the White House says President Biden reaffirmed the United States' commitment to supporting Ukraine for as long as it takes. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby addresses reporters in the White House press briefing room, front and center, support for Ukraine. On the call, uh, none of the foreign leaders uh, expressed concerns about continued U.S. support. They understand what's going on up on Capitol Hill. The other day, President Joe Biden signed legislation that kept the U.S. government funded, but it did not include his request for billions of dollars to help Ukraine fight Russia. We cannot under any circumstances allow America's support for Ukraine to be interrupted. Time is not our friend. Meanwhile, President Biden's son, Hunter, heads to court in Delaware, where he pleaded not guilty to three federal firearms charges. And back in the briefing room... This is an independent Department of Justice uh, investigation. It has been, uh, and which has been led by one of the prosecutors from the last administration. The plea sets the case on a track toward a possible trial in 2024, while President Biden is running for re-election. And President Biden's main contender for the White House also showed up at court in New York. Former President Donald Trump appeared for the second day of his business fraud trial. Trump insisting today that the case should be dismissed. Because of the fraudulent numbers she's given, many of which, Marlon is just one example. We have other examples that are almost as good, in some cases might even be better. This case should be dismissed. Meanwhile, also in the press briefing room today, I asked John Kirby about Senator Tommy Tuberville's current hold on military promotions. Uh, he says, quote, as long as the Pentagon keeps the unlawful elective abortion policy in place, my holds will remain, end quote. That said, will the Pentagon rescind that policy to move those nominations through? I don't speak for the Pentagon anymore. I, I'm, uh, I'm here now, uh, so I'd refer you certainly to my, my Pentagon colleagues. That said... Uh, they have spoken to this many times. First of all, the senator's just wrong. 
It's not an unlawful policy. It's perfectly legal, perfectly in keeping with the law. He says it violates the Hyde Amendment. It doesn't. They, they've done a legal scrub at this at the at DOD. It's just wrong. I'm not, while I won't speak for the Pentagon, I'm certainly just not going to let a lie and falsehood live on. It's not a violation of the law. It is a legal policy. Now, I also asked John Kirby how it all ends, and he told me he can't predict it, but he called the senator's hold ridiculous. Meanwhile, 5,000 veterans have written a letter in support of Senator Tuberville's stance. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, tomorrow is the start of the Synod on Synodality at the Vatican, yet in the lead-up to this very private gathering, an exchange between five cardinals and the Pope is being made very public. Back in July, Cardinals Walter Bram Mueller from Germany, Robert Seurat from Guinea, Juan Sandoval Ineges from Mexico, Raymond Burke from the United States, and Joseph Zend from Hong Kong submitted questions called dubia to Pope Francis. They were seeking clarity on several controversial issues, including changing church teaching, blessings for same-sex couples, the authority of the synod, women's ordination, as well as repentance, and absolution. Yesterday, the Cardinals published their original questions and follow-ups seeking additional clarity. In return, the Vatican released Pope Francis's initial response to the first set of questions. And joining us now is Jonathan Liedel, senior editor of the National Catholic Register. Jonathan, great to see you again. Okay, first off, could you please explain to us um, what are dubia? Yeah, Tracy. So dubia comes from a Latin word that means doubts or questions. So submitting dubia to the Vatican is a way for church leaders to seek clarity on matters of doctrine and discipline uh, that have been called into question in some way. So typically dubia are submitted in question format, giving an opportunity for the Vatican to respond uh, with a simple yes or no. And the Vatican can choose to reply. And if it does reply, whether or not it will publish the dubia and its responses to the wider public. And Jonathan, um, if the original questions, if they were submitted in July and answered by the Pope, why did the Cardinals publish the questions now? That's right. When the Cardinals received the Pope's initial, initial responses back on July 11th, uh, they said that uh, their dubia were not answered in that typical yes or no fashion. And in fact, they went on to say that the Pope's answers, quote, have not resolved the doubts we have raised, but have, if anything, deepened them. So they revised their questions to the Pope to make them more explicit and to elicit uh, th those yes-no direct responses they were looking for. They submitted those revised dubia to the Pope on August 21st. But after they received no response from the Holy Father, they decided to go public with those dubia yesterday morning. And of course, Tracy, uh, to keep in mind, the whole reason the Cardinal submitted these dubia in the first place was to try to bring clarity to the church's teaching, quote, in view of various declarations of highly placed prelates who have spoken about using the upcoming synod on synodality to promote views that the cardinals say are openly contrary to the constant doctrine and discipline of the church. So really an attempt to have some clarity before we begin this important synod on synodality. And Jonathan, what's the Vatican's response? 
Well, Tracy, yesterday, only hours after the Cardinals went public with their dubia, the Vatican released the Pope's uh, responses to their original questions. Additionally, Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, who is the new head of the Vatican's doctrine office, he criticized these five cardinals. He said that the Pope had already answered their questions and that they were treating the Holy Father as if he were, quote, their slave for running errands. So some very charged words uh, from the Vatican. And what about uh, Pope Francis's response? I mean, how significant was it? Well, Tracy, anytime you're talking about some of these hot and button issues, there's likely uh, the potential for controversy. I would say that the reason the Pope's responses have generated some controversy is because they don't necessarily provide those clear answers the cardinals were looking for on some of these questions. And that's allowed for a variety of different interpretations. So we can see this uh, perhaps especially with the Holy Father's response to the question of whether the church can bless same-sex unions. Now, in his response, the Pope reaffirmed, or excuse me, reaffirmed that marriage is an exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between a man and a woman. And he also said that the church can't do anything that would cause confusion about uh, the meaning of marriage. However, the Pope, in that response to that question, he went on to say that pastoral prudence, and this is a quote, must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or more persons that do not transmit a mistaken conception of marriage. For when a blessing is requested, one is expressing a request for help from God. So this passage from the Pope, it has been interpreted in different ways uh, by, by different people. The secular media, for instance, have said that uh, this indicates that the Pope is open uh, to the church blessing same-sex sexual unions. Others, though, uh, citing the Pope's previous comments and perhaps especially the Vatican's 2021 guidance on this issue, contest that account. Jonathan, thank you so much for that report and sorting this all out for us. We appreciate it. God bless. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including help is on the way, how the United Nations is sending aid to Haiti, and a losing horse, what Iran has to say about Israel's journey toward peace. says that more than 100,000 people have fled the capital of Nagorno-Karabakh, leaving behind a nearly empty city. It's uh, an extraordinary situation, the one we found, our colleagues found here, and we, as Rapid Deployment Team, found ourselves uh, when, we, when we arrived, uh, is, uh, as I said, is a surreal scene. Uh, once a bustling city is now completely deserted, well, the mass exodus began after Azerbaijan's attack on the majority Christian region. The last bus carrying, bus carrying ethnic Armenians left Nagorno-Karabakh on Monday, where the United Nations has officially approved a multinational armed force led by Kenya to go to Haiti and fight gangs. Kenya's president expressed gratitude upon hearing the approval. This will be the first time in 20 years that a force would be deployed to the troubled Caribbean nation. Iran's supreme leader is calling Israel, quote, a cancer. The Ayatollah says that any government seeking ties with the Jewish state are, quote, betting 
on a losing horse. He made the comments as a possible diplomatic deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia gains momentum. Eleven people are confirmed dead after a roof collapse at a Catholic church in Mexico. It happened during Sunday Mass. One survivor says that she had only seconds to react to try and save her young children. The woman says that she moved her two-year-old child to safety, but her 10-year-old daughter was trapped underneath the rubble and remains in intensive care. Officials say they're not sure what caused the concrete and brick church to collapse, but say there are no signs of an explosion. We go now to Diego Lopez Colin, correspondent for Aussie Prensa, and he is based in Mexico. Diego, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Can you give us an update on the situation and the search and rescue efforts? Have all the missing been accounted for at this point? First, thank you for, for inviting me to talk about this incident. And yes, uh, after the Sunday Mass with the 300 people, uh, only eight families had their children baptized. That's the reason why there are no more people in the temple. But reports from the scene tell us we approximately uh, six, 60 and 70 people inside the parish at the time of the roof collapse. It's shocking just uh, considering the number of victims could have been even higher. And the response for authorities was sweet. Uh, with the help of the community, they managed to rescue those who, who, who were trapped. Uh, and training dogs and thermal imaging cameras were deployed in the, in the search to the rescue efforts which concluded early morning in, uh, in uh, concluding early on the Monday morning. The incident uh, resulted in 11 fatalities, like you say, including uh, three minors and seven adults. On the afternoon of October 2, uh, the new broken, uh, that a 18-year-old woman has, uh, has died in the hospital for the severe injuries. Uh, additionally, the authorities uh, confirmed that the 60 people uh, in injuries, with uh, 13 of them remaining hospitalized, and just one critical, critical in, in, in critical conditions. Sorry. Yeah. And as we mentioned, Diego, I mean, there was no explosion, also no seismic activity indicating an earthquake at the time. That said, any clue to what may have caused that roof to collapse, do we know? Well, the security camera footage from the Nervil location captured the moment when the church, the church roof just uh, don't work. It's, it's amazing. Uh, notably, there's no indication the, the walls uh, blowing apart. There's no any evidence of explosion. And it's important, you say, the authorities declared that the incident was unintentional and the no previous problems with the structure of the church have ever been reported. In the Holy Cross Parish, is only 50 years old and have been functionally perfectly without any signs of defects or problems. And the authorities are investigating what could have caused the incident, but still it's not official statement. And Jose Armando Alvarez Cano, Bishop of the Diocese of Tampico, where the, the area where the incident happened, said he doesn't know what could have caused the accident. However, he mentioned it the, due to the extreme heat of or the extreme heat of the city, and uh, air conditioning was recently installed, so maybe there's uh, damage when they installed the, the air conditioning. But again, nothing was officially confirmed.
Uh, the bishop also stated that the, out of the 73 churches on, and hundreds of the chapels in the diocese are currently be, being uh, inspected. And during this inspection, it was discovered that the one church, the Cristo Resucitado, also exhibit uh, some issues. Well, consequently, the church will remain closer with the true review is conducted. Diego, we're almost out of time, but I'm curious. I mean, obviously, no way that mass can take place in the church right now. So where will the parishioners go? Is there another parish close by? And also, are there any fundraising efforts underway to help rebuild the church? Yes, there are nearly other church, or how I say there are 73 churches in the diocese, and the, 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 the people will go in the in whatever they they want and uh, in this moment they they are not refunding uh, no they are not just um, capturing they are not just uh, talking about money uh, and and the bishop say the uh, adverting about um, there are scammers trying to to steal money the people saying that is for the for, from the restructuration of the parish. That is not true. Well, Diego, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. God bless you. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, gone too soon. The sudden death of an auxiliary bishop in Chicago. Plus, learn more about our Raymond Arroyo's new book and the old White House tradition. Auxiliary Bishop of Chicago, Bishop Kevin Birmingham, passed away in his sleep Sunday night. The 51-year-old's cause of death is unknown. The Archdiocese offers prayers for his mother and the repose of his soul. His fellow Auxiliary Bishop describes Bishop Birmingham as having had a pastoral heart. Paul Francis is asking the faithful to pray that the church can adopt a spirit of listening. In his October prayer intention, the Holy Father is focusing on the Synod on Synodality. He also says the Holy Spirit can help the Church hear everyone and draw its mission closer to Christ. Well, finally tonight, a new book out today by EWTN's own Raymond Arroyo examines an important but often overlooked figure in the life of one of the most important people in American history. The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln introduces us to the rambunctious son of the 16th president. It is the story of how small moments in one's life can create big change. We recently spoke with Raymond about his book and why it has messages for children and parents alike. Oh, Raymond, so good to be with you today. So tell us, what inspired you to write about Tad Lincoln? I mean, someone, as we mentioned, who's often been overlooked. Well, you know, like you, I have watched for years the White House Turkey Pardon, which is an annual tradition at the White House. And some claim JFK coined it. Others say it was Truman who created this tradition. Well, I dug into the past and found it was Tad Lincoln. Now, I, no spoiler alert. I'm not going to ruin the story for everybody. But 
what I discovered was the tender family story of Abraham Lincoln and his youngest son, Tad, and how that relationship, really, they taught each other about mercy and forgiveness in our darkest moment in the nation's history. And um, people often wondered why Abraham Lincoln allowed his son to run roughshod all over the White House. You know, he was hitching billy goats to dining room chairs and racing through the East Room. They were digging up the Rose Garden. And, uh, in fact, even some of Lincoln's contemporaries said the kid was a hellion. But I think he needed Tad Lincoln there as a reminder of normalcy, light, and what was possible on the other side of the chaos he was living through. What was the one yep. thing that stood out the most to you about Tad? Well, that his father gave him free reign. You know, we, we always want to, particularly fathers of boys, as I am, you want to control your sons to calm down and be good. He allowed Ted to be a boy and even, uh, you know, disrupt things. And he found joy in that. They, you know, there's a picture I, I made our illustrator, uh, Jackie Davis. She, she, she put Ted, uh, Abraham Lincoln doubled over in laughter on the cover of the book because there are historical accounts of this. He obviously found great joy and delight in his son's antics. And it was a break from the weight and the depression and the gravity of what he was dealing with every day. And we need to remember, as fathers and mothers, Children are not there just for some service they can provide. They are sent by God. As Mother Teresa told me, they're a reminder that God hasn't abandoned us. What do you hope the readers take away from this book, Raymond? Well, I hope they are reminded of the magnitude of a little life, how a life that, you know, Tad died at a young age. Um, his father obviously did as well. But that you are sent here for a period to do something. And Tad fulfilled his mission. And we have this beautiful national holiday and this White House tradition that continues to this day. And I see it as a monument, really, to the love of father and son and the, the spunk, the resiliency, the kindness of Tad Lincoln. And I hope kids and families look at Thanksgiving that way. That's how I look at it anyway. All right. Can't wait to read the book and the magnificent of Tad Lincoln is available from the EWTN Religious Catalog. Also, Amazon and Barnes & Nobles had it, has it. Raymond is also going on tour to discuss the book. You can visit RaymondArroyo.com for more. Now, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night, and God bless.